Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. And good morning, it's Annie for Showreel. We're uh, looking at Australian film. And today we're going to talk to a person called Robin Murphy. Now, Robin is part of a group of people who are in town to show a, a short documentary, a 25-minute documentary called uh, The Women Who Were Never There. It's going to be on at the uh, Victorian Trades Hall tonight, in fact. And, uh, in fact, if you go to Jobs for Women uh, website, you'll probably find that it's showing in other places as well. But it's here because, uh, one, to remind people about uh, battles, women's working battles that uh, have been forgotten but shouldn't be, but also to bring people to the table uh, regarding a feature that is uh, in the pipeline, tentatively called Women of Steel, which is all about the fight for uh uh, equal pay and access to jobs that uh, was a legal battle but also a battle on the ground which this uh, feature of this little documentary called uh, The Women Who Were Never There began. It's, uh, 1970, it's about the 1973 uh, fight for uh, jobs for women at the Port Kembla uh, uh, BHP um, steel mills. Uh, another piece of history, as Robin tells us, that uh, people have forgotten. This is a really uh, interesting uh, conversation about uh, uh, the fight for equal rights for women as well in Australia, as well as uh, films that uh, are there to document these things. But before we go ahead, there's a couple of other opportunities for women in film. Uh, it's a, a late announcement, really. Uh, there's... Uh, uh, a major uh, uh, outstanding women's stage and screenwriters uh, uh, fellowship, I guess it is. It's an, uh, You've only got one day to uh, nominate uh, for a major prize of $30,000 and an additional $10,000 for a writer in the early stages of her career. The inaugural Mona Brand Award for Outstanding Women's Stage and Screenwriters will close nominations this Friday, August the 19th. Uh, conditions of entry and nomination forms are available on the State Library website. Perhaps the, not it's too late for this year, but next year certainly. Now, uh, but maybe not. Maybe there's someone out there that should be getting online right now for uh, their future career, uh, career because uh, it's a pretty important uh, 
support for women writers. Also, the applications for the 2016 fellowship, uh, the Natalie Miller Fellowship, uh, closes on Friday the 26th of August. This has been doubled uh, to $20,000. It's uh, celebrating its 50th year. The Natalie Miller Fellowship invites applications. It's... uh, The fellowship is open to all women working in the Australian screen industry and aims to provide financial assistance to pursue professional development in their fields through attachments, internships, secondments, travel and other means in order to reach their full leadership potential. Producers, distributors, exhibitors, businesswomen, entrepreneurs and other screen industry professionals are encouraged to apply for financial assistance in pursuing professional development. Proposals should outline how the grant would assist the applicant to reach their full leadership potential and benefit the wider screen community. The recipient will be announced in mid-October at the uh, 2016 Australian International Movie Convention, which is going to be on at the Gold Coast. You should go to the uh, the Fellowship, Natalie Miller Fellowship website for uh, application guidelines. Two fabulous things going on for women in film. So let's move on to uh, talk to Robin Murphy about the women who were not there. So, hello, Robin. For, thanks very much for coming in. Um, we're going to be talking about your film, uh, the, the Women That Weren't There, right? That's right, yes. The Women Who Weren't There. So tell us about what that's all about. Well, it's a really uh, fantastic little film of a piece of history that has never been documented, never... I really didn't know much about it until we started doing some research behind the feature film that we're making around the Jobs for Women campaign. Um, I was in Wollongong in 1980, but even when we started the Jobs for Women campaign, we had no idea of what women had done earlier in 1973. So when we... Before you go on, that's really interesting, isn't it? That uh, women's battles are just put aside. Exactly, and that is why the producers group that are, that made The Women Who Were Never There and who are making a, a feature-length film on the Jobs for Women campaign, they're so passionate about ensuring that we actually do tell our stories and draw out the lessons that we all need to know about today. Um, not much has changed for women, uh, but some of the things that we have done historically have been really successful and have made small changes that we really need to find out about, I think. So that event in Port Kembla, well, let's go focus on that event right. and what happened. Right. So in 1973, I think you've got to go back to what was happening at the time. Well, that's a big period of Australian history. Gough Whitlam's in. Yes. And having done some white Australian history, uh, I could say that nothing happened in Australia by Federation until Whitlam turned up. Yes, that was very much the case. (laughs) (laughs) So from the point of view of women and women's organisations, the women's liberation movement was a fantastic radicalising movement that started in Australia in the mid-60s, later 60s, 
and had fantastic rippling effects throughout Australia as women set up consciousness raising groups, started campaigning for things like women's right to control our own bodies, childcare, and of course equal pay. Um, oh my God! <laughs> you have to remember that up until about 1974, there was the family wage. Um, that concept went, and culturally it went right through till 1980, which made the Jobs for Women campaign significant. But going back to 1973, you had already had some changes, but basically you are looking at women's wage was 75% of, ma- of male wage. And what they were talking about was this concept that you had the nuclear family, the father went off to uh, bring home the bacon, the mum was at home homemaking, and the kiddies were going off to school. That's right. And so therefore the uh, wages for men reflected that. But of course that's... Well, it reflected it and perhaps orchestrated it. But actually in real life, that wasn't necessarily happening either. No, no, it wasn't. And there were a lot of things happening for women, a lot of things not happening. (laughs) It's a bit of a double-edged sword because during that period, and I remember that time when I I tried to get um, just things like renting a house, you had to have a signatory, a male guarantor, um, if you wanted a loan. You, you could not get a loan as a woman. You had to have a male backup. Um, and in the federal public service, once you got married, you could no longer work full time. So there are some massive things that were happening at the time for women that have completely changed today. And I'd like to say that, you know, when you hear some young women say, oh, I'm not a feminist, but I feel like throwing up. <laughs> <laughs> Only not because I want to have a go at them, but because do they remember? No, of course they don't. Because we haven't told our history. And that is why this film, The Women Who Were Never There, is it is a little step in, in capturing what the women's movement has done for all of us. Um, so in 1973, look, the whole culture was, oh, look, women can't work full time. They get their period. You know, they've got to mind their children. They can't do... They're not reliable. Um, You know, they're going to cry if they do something wrong and they get into trouble. I mean, the concepts, you have to go back to that period. This little film talks about what women can do and what they actually did in 1973. Um, And as I said, in 1980, I didn't know the story till we went back and found the woman who'd been involved, um, Jan Reed, and um, talked to her. How did they go about organising themselves? I mean, because it's all very well to talk the talk, but how did they walk the walk? Women in Wollongong... Wollongong's a very unique town. It's always, I suppose you could say, up until, you know, 20 years ago, it was a company town. It was run by BHP. And that was very much the atmosphere later on as well, right up until, you know, about 20 years ago. Um, So it was also a very strong union town uh, and it was also quite an active women's town in the sense that 
women in Wollongong because they'd been radicalised through the union movement, through the peace movement, through solidarity movements, were involved in the in women's liberation. And um, there were women who were, through their trade union activity, involved in the ACTU and had seen uh, through the ACTU what women were doing, for example, down in Melbourne. I think there was already a women's centre set up in Melbourne. So women were starting to share our experiences throughout the country. And because Wollongong is such a male-dominated town, or was such a male-dominated town in industry and very sex-segregated, women got together and decided, right, we really need work. And so what they did is they had some people in the women's movement acted as a decoy at the gates of the steelworks while others snuck in and others chained themselves to the gates. So it was it's quite an action. Um, and at that time, the one union that wasn't um, in kilt with the rest of the unions wasn't sympathetic to the women's movement, whereas I would say that the Labor Council was. Um, the demarcation probably was DLP-based exactly. groups versus the others. Exactly, exactly. It was the Remem- ironworkers. Remembering my history. Yeah, yeah. It was the ironworkers union that was run by Laurie Short. Uh, that situation changed in 1980 when the second, the really big campaign started. There were a lot of different things about that, but in 1973, the women did have the support of the Labor Council, I think, but. It was a very short campaign, but because they received a fair bit of publicity, um, BHP actually turned around and employed a few hundred women. But unfortunately... um, And before that, there were no women employed? Not that I know of. Not that there may have been a few secretaries and uh, a few women. So the aim was to be employed in non-traditional roles, is that correct? I'd say so, yes, but the women who did the action knew that they wouldn't be able to get work. They would be blacklisted. Uh, that's a, probably a lot of people don't understand that term now, but because you're... Well, a, actually, it's been revived. <laughs> right, yes, with, of with, course. With the attack on uh, on uh, various unions like the CFMEU and yes, stuff like that, there is, there, there is stories of people being employers yes. uh, using blacklists. Yes, yes, well, very much the case. Um, in, 19, in the 1970s as yeah. well. So, so, so they were being the courageous ones. They were, and they knew that they wouldn't get work, but they knew that they might be successful in, for other women getting this, work. This is the time-honoured Australian tall poppy theory. Uh, 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 you know, if you, if you stand up for the... Uh, it's one of the reasons why people are so loath to stand up, because whoever stands up is the one who has to take the bullet. Exactly. Yeah. And in fact, in the 1980, the beginning of the campaign that I was involved in in the 1980s, I was absolutely convinced that I would never get a job because of my background. But in reality, I worked in the steelworks for nearly 30 years after that. Oh, really? Yeah. What were your jobs? Oh, I'm labourer, grease monkey, crane chaser, crane driver... Uh, I, you know, ended up being my role. I was a roller in a hot strip mill, and then I ended up doing work in the environment, which was probably the best job I, I had in the steelworks. And a, how did you get into film? I had. I was actually. I went to the Australian. What was the first year of the Australian Film and Television School? So I was in the inaugural year with 
people like Phil Moyes and Gillian Armstrong. And you were aiming to make films that told workers' stories? Yes, absolutely. Cool. And so this particular film, you've made a, a taster, is it? It's 25 minutes. That's right. Which is going to be shown tonight at uh, uh, Trades Hall at, yes. in Melbourne. Uh, because you're trying to get people to support the making of a full feature. That's right, yes. And the full feature. Yes, look, unfortunately, we haven't been successful in getting money from Hollywood or... <laughs> uh, yeah, most commercial film industry bodies. Um, and like our campaigns, I think building the need and the support for this campaign, it's very similar. We're going back to the grassroots for the, for our support which is just normal working people, women and, and you know, migrant organisations. So, yes, we, we're trying to raise funds to make and to tell the story, to tell the bigger story of a big campaign that set precedence on a whole number of arenas around the rights of migrants to full information in Australian society, the rights of women to work wherever we want to work, just to um, and to counter um, high unemployment and the fact that when there is high un unemployment, it's often women that suffer and that are picked on uh, cases of sexual harassment. That hasn't changed. That hasn't changed at all. Yeah, there's so many less. And to actually to take legislation and test it and improve uh, its ability to act on behalf of, of the normal working person. My name's Molly Reynolds and I make documentaries like Another Country and I support 3CR because it is a radio station that once you start listening to, you can't stop. And uh, you're on Showreel with Annie and we're talking to Robin Murphy who's involved in a film feature that uh, they're hoping to make about the uh, working uh, Jobs for Women campaign, uh, the whole battle that... Uh, uh, to uh, ensure that uh, women weren't discriminated against in the workplace. Uh, we'll go on. Uh, they've got a film night tonight at the uh, Victorian Trades Hall uh, at 6.30. It's a fundraiser for a feature that they want to make, which tentatively is going to be called uh, Women of Steel. The uh, film that's on tonight is a documentary about the 1973 uh, working campaign to uh, get women on site at the uh, Port Kembla Rio Tinto. Uh, it was an absolute revolution. Uh, these women uh, chained, themse chained themselves to the gates and it changed. It literally changed uh, working conditions and life for women in Australia. Uh, anyway, we'll go on and we'll have a talk with uh, Robin Murphy. You've got the 1973 campaign yes. at Port Campbell, which then moves into the action for uh, equal rights to work in 1981. Well, well, actually, the 1973 action was a standalone. Yeah, um, and it's the beginning. It's it, like, but it, it was the beginning. It's like a kindling to the fire. Absolutely. We'll actually go back to Whitlam and the advent of Whitlam and why it was like... Uh, you know, washing your face with clean, uh, clean water. The Anti-Discrimination Act came in. That's right. The Anti-Discrimination Act came in in 1977. 
So the 1973, the film that was made in 1973 was prior to even RAN becoming New South Wales Premier. So they were, and once RAN got in, the moves, there were a lot of moves, particularly from feminists who were working in the Labor Party to move towards a Sex Discrimination Act, um, which became the New South Wales Anti-Discrimination Act. Uh, So... The difference between the two actions, in 1973 it was you know, action at the gate over a few days. In 1980 it took 14 and a half years because we were testing legislation that had never been tested before. Um, so... No, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because it, it, it's... Oh, well, that sounds like Norm Gallagher. What is it? Norm Gallagher's that's famous right. quote. Yeah, you, you can, you'll never win it. You always win it at the gate. Yes, yes. And uh, certainly, look, however, I think with the 1980 campaign, in due respect, I think the legislation, it was good to test that legislation because it has had major ramifications, not just for women, but for a whole number of disadvantaged sections of society. Well, it's key. I mean, if you think about it, you've got got the... uh Family wage. Now, the family yeah. wage created a whole society. That was what it was it was doing. And and on another issue, very similar. If you think about the breaking up of uh, Aboriginal Indigenous families, one of the the key roots of that was Centrelink or social security arrangements that gave the money to the head of the household, who they saw as being a male. Mm. That that caused un, untold problems for that community. Uh, so it, it, it's it's a way of creating society. Now, if you change legislation in this dramatic way, quite clearly it has to have an effect on society. Yes. I mean, I, I, the ramifications of the 1980-94 the campaign were fantastic because, you know, industries could not just pick and choose between men and women and divide men and women the way they had up until then in all forms. So... Um, and it also changed the other thing about it, the, the second campaign was that it also changed the Shops and Factories Act, which was another this discriminatory legislation that said women could not lift more than 35 pounds. Um, I mean, BHP at the time said, oh, we'd love to employ women, but we've got this legislation that we really have to comply with. Well, 35 pounds is equal to you know a two-year-old on your hip or a couple of bags of you know, shopping. And as a result of the legal campaign and the work that the Equal Opportunity Councillor did at the time, they actually brought in a, a researcher, who, an independent researcher, who went through and looked at what was £35 and what wasn't and then highlighted just how unsafe that legislation was for men because they had no way of lifting anything safely. So what came into being was the... Um, oh, H&S. OH&S manual handling guidelines. Yes. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. So <laughs> there's, a, there's so many parts to that second campaign because we, well, we, we were fighting BHP and um, it was a group of unemployed women and mainly migrant women. So it was a fairly huge battle. That's pretty amazing. Uh, so who was the organiser? Well, we were, it started with a group of women who were socialists and feminists um, and they spearheaded the formation of the Jobs for Women Action Committee. But they knew that 
any campaign for the right of women to work in Wollongong would need to involve over 50% of the migrant community. So it ended up there were probably over 700 women who were finally involved because we ran a class... The whole thing was we wanted to run a class action right from the beginning, but we had no way. We were sort of fumbling our way through legislation and as were the anti-discrimination, you know, the Councillor for Equal Opportunity... For them, this was the first time that a, class, a potential class action was being run too, so it was fairly big. Um, and But yes, it, it turned out to be over 700 women who were part of a class action. Mm, so that's quite amazing. The, the, so it just goes to show that you can have a good idea, but everybody has to share it. <laughs> yeah, but I think, I mean, the really big thing about the, our campaign, and I'm talking about the 1981, which the feature is about was that we knew that we had to forge links, that it wasn't just an action by women. That See, it's a feature film. It's not a documentary. It's a feature film. That's what so, we're hoping it to be. The, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so obviously you have to, you're building it around characters. Yes. And key events. Yes. And what you're saying is you start with the uh, 73 events, which then grow into the... the uh, 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 legal battle. We have the little film of the 73 action. So the and fe- that's what we're going to see on Thursday night. That's right. Um, tonight. And, we're ho- and we're hoping that people will contribute to the feature. So Yes, so I ho- we're hoping that people will get excited about that little story and um, we'll be talking about the feature. Uh, so the feature will pretty much start in 1980. Oh, I see. Yeah. Now I'm getting to yes. understand what's going on. So it'll it'll start there and it'll go right through and what, and victory. Do, and do you have a name for this? Not yet. No, no. I see. And I, I mean, I think that'll be quite interesting. We There is a book called Women of Steel that's been put out. I know, it's a great name. Yeah, yeah. And so everyone's referring to the feature as that. But yeah, look, I'm, I'm open to all sorts of suggestions. Uh, and you can talk to Robin tonight at uh, the uh, Trades Hall on the corner of Victoria and uh, Ligon Street in Carlton about a pot potential name for the feature when you go and see a film, The Women That Weren't, Were not, Never There, the film about the women who chained themselves to the uh, Port Kembla Rio Tinto uh, steelworks demanding jobs for women in 1973, courageous women, they uh, set the scene for the uh, fight, uh, the battle for uh, using the uh, testing, the uh, anti-discrimination legislation during the, during the 80s. It took 14 years, see, like Vincent Lynn Gowry for the Wave Hill uh, walk-off. Uh, they know how to wait. You can help uh, to... Uh, Fight for a Better Future by going to see the film. It's a fundraiser for the feature that they're uh, intending to make. Coming up next is... Uh, oh, in fact, if you want more information, go to the uh, uh, Jobs for Women uh, website and you'll find out more about it. Coming up next is Published or Not. I'll go out with Mia Dyson, Make a Stand. <laughs> Thank you. 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.